Well, it is on. Okay, here we go. How long will it last? That's okay. Um, Martin Luther, I think, said it real well whenever Calvin said, it's, uh, it's right well how to use evil instruments to do good. God uses evil instruments. God uses Satan. God uses demons. God uses uh, people who are not His to, be, to go forth towards His will. Uh, Luther said this, I thought it was pretty good. God can use a crooked stick to draw a straight line. It's, and it's all for good. God works all things together for good to those who love it, called according to His purpose. Now, we don't really understand um, how God's will takes place uh, and uh, what He forbids to be done. And Of course, you think of the illustration of the death of Christ. Christ is His Son, His only Son. God forbids murder, right? And it, it, we know it's against His will. Murder is. However, the death of Christ was the will of God. How else were we going to be saved? Christ had to be crucified on the cross. Um, so He wills to take place what He forbids to be done. Like murder. Everybody knows that that's wrong. But He's not guilty of sin there. Uh, we know that. The sin rested upon who? People like Herod, and Pilate, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all the religious leaders, the nation of Israel, us. Because He had to die for us because we were sinners, right? So God planned this death of Christ. Even at the same time, He forbids murder that is sounds like two different wills. And in some, some senses we can say there are two wills, but it ab- absolutely comes down to really one will that God has, even though it looks to us like uh, it, there's almost contradiction there. You know, and so sometimes you'll hear the word preceptive will and decorative will. Preceptive is what He's revealed, His revealed will, and the, the decreed will is His secret will. What we don't see behind the scene and where it's all heading for. Um, so anyway, does God have two wills? It may seem like it, but there's a single will and you can imagine trying to plumb the depths of that kind of knowledge. Uh, is it a contradiction? No, not really. To us... To people, it sure they will use this and say God's contradicting Himself, or is it a mystery? Well, I think we'd have to say, yeah, there's a lot of mystery to it. Um, God's will is so great, it's so boundless uh, that you know He knows exactly how right, how well to use um, evil instruments to bring forth good. When we don't grasp how God God's will takes place, uh, let's recall our mental capacity. It's very limited, isn't it? We can only go so far. We can't understand the absolute mind of God. We know that in Timothy it says that he is. There's a sense that his light is unapproachable. You know, he's a holy God. We have access to Him always, constantly in prayer. 
but there's a sense where it goes into that unapproachable light that we cannot even uh, fathom. So, you know, and, and God dwells in that light, that it's un, unapproachable. But we believe Him by faith. We know He's omnipotent, but we also know He's good. Omnipotent means He's all-powerful. He's a God that can do anything that He wants. Uh, so He's both good, He's both omnipotent. And so that, you know, what we've just looked at right there as far as the two contrary wills, they're not because He's decreed uh, a secret council. Uh, what seems to look like He openly forbids in the law, which He does forbid in the law, but he's not contradicting. He uses that. The one I can think of the most before we go any further, I don't have it in your outlines there yet, and I'm kind of kind of getting there, but in Acts chapter 2, this shows his uh, revealed will here and his secret will. Both of them are seen. Verse 22, Peter's preaching. says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. Now there is the plan of God that he would be carried over to these wicked men who would kill him. That's in his plan. It's predetermined. It's foreknowledge. It's not that he just saw beforehand it was going to happen. It meant that he planned it out. It is something planned beforehand. Then he says, You nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. There he's speaking to the people of Israel and he says, You are the ones who killed him. So God plans it, but yet who's held responsible for the sin that they did? It's man, right? The ones who killed him, which comes down to every man, a woman, and child here like, like us. You know, believers here um, are part of the death of, of that uh, Son of God. But it says, but God raised him up again putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. And then he goes on to show uh, what David said, that he's, he's getting towards the resurrection there. That's what he's speaking of. You know, the apostles didn't know what was going on when Jesus was being delivered up and then crucified. They ran, they split. And, you know, they were taught by Jesus. He even told them that he would be killed and on the third day he would rise again. He gave them the end of the story, you know, that, that hey, don't, you know, I'm going to rise again, though. I'll resurrect. Here it says, here's what God predetermined, here's what man did, but here's what God did. He raised him up. That was all in the plan. Man didn't get that resurrection, though, did they? Didn't get Jesus. They thought he was dead. But at the same time, they had seen even glimpses of people coming back to life. You know, as as he would raise him from the dead. About the Abraham did realize that. 
Yeah, he I saw that day. Yeah, he realized that. With his, with his only begotten son, which was a picture. Some people gathered that there was going to be a resurrection, and they did look forward to that. Well, but some of the people, I mean, it wasn't like he was the only one that was ever raised from the dead. There was Lazarus. Yeah, they had a little bit more and evidence of some were, stuff that happened know, there. There was the woman that was... Jairus' daughter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, there were several instances where, you know, he gave them a glimpse of... I think it's awesome when you're talking about this that, you know... We don't really need all that much faith because he's shown us, you know, talking about how great he is and how good he is and how even the evil is good. We have evidence. He, okay, he did, you know, I was thinking of Jonah. That didn't look too good either. <laughs> you know? exactly. and I mean, there are, look at the prophets in the Old Testament. They, they went through some stuff that looked really bad, but it wasn't. And we know that. We know that today. So when we look at stuff that looks really bad, it shouldn't even phase us because we have all of this to look at. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, we have a lot to draw from, which they didn't exactly. have that, exactly. what you're saying. So yeah, it's uh, and we know that God has planned this out, and He uses things that you wouldn't think that would be possible, and that's how much in control that He is of evil, and how much a control He has in our country, and knowing that even if it turns out not the way that we want, I'm, I'm praying that that not be. But even if it's not, we can still trust in Him in that He's going to do what His will is. And He can use uh, the, the worst of people, and He has, and, and uh, He continues to do that for His glory, even though they don't even know they're actually doing things that God is using. So there are definitely objections to this kind of theology, but and there shouldn't be because it just makes out how big God is. We don't see the ending of it all, do we? We know the end, I mean, as far as Him coming back. But even our own lives, we don't know what's going to happen with our life in ten years from now. We don't have the faintest idea. We might have an idea where we're heading, what's what's going on, but we don't. But God's governing all that, isn't He? Um, first chapter of Job. Satan appears in the presence of God to receive his orders just as do angels who obey spontaneously. The manner and end, I guess you could say, are different, but still the fact is is that um, Satan cannot ever attempt anything without the will of God. And when we're saying will of God, it's not that he just says, okay, uh, you know, I'll permit them to do it. It's more than a permission. It is the sense of... Um, there is a, a positive behind that. Um, it's not just a, a, a bare permission, but it's really God in His plan. Right. Yeah, Avail. Like you're saying, like it says like here in chapter 8, it says, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. 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 Threw him under the bus. <laughs> Have you considered my servant Job? 
Yeah. And that just start everything. And we know Satan's response is, you, he only worships you because you put a yeah. hedge of protection around him. Yeah. You take that hedge away, and he will curse you to your face. Uh, and so, you know, you can see right there that God was like, I know what I'm doing. Sure did. Lucifer, Satan, I'm going to prove you wrong. Satan, just a pawn in his hand, isn't it? We can't put Satan equal with Jesus or right underneath him a little bit. God uses that, and it sounds so strange. If God didn't want Satan here, he could do away with and he will. He will put him under the lake of fire. But at the same time, he's using him um, you know, for his glory. And of course, uh, you gotta love the way that Job responded to it. Um uh, Right there, in, well, since you're in, we were in Job there, right? And you, you did verse 8 there, I think. Yeah. Um, I didn't do the whole verse, I just stopped after. But that right there pretty well tells, tells it all, doesn't it? Well, at the, like in verse 20, uh, 21, naked I came from mother's womb, naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, the Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. And by the end of the book, we see what God had in mind. It was really about how great God is. And, of course, Job is just a man. He was a righteous man, the most righteous man on earth. But yet, it's all about God. And, you know, what God says, where were you when I created Leviathan? And on and on, you know, it's like... This is the. It's about the power of God, and and He can do what He wants with His people. Uh, he definitely put him to a major test that I don't think anybody can identify uh, quite so much with Job there of all the tests that he had. But so that means whenever we have our test, we can say, well, if God took care of him, He can sure take care of us. It's even back to the the faith that Job had was granted to him by God on top of all that. So it wasn't even that Job was, you know, it was that that was granted favor by God to him to, to endure this. To persevere through it. It was, it was all God all the way through it. As devastating as it seems, it goes beyond that. And of course, you, think, you take the Sabaeans there, you know, the enemy there, cruelly, wickedly, they make a sudden invasion, rob... Uh, and destroy and everything. And Job acknowledges that uh, he was deprived of all of his property that he owned and, and, and brought to poverty, but it was still, I don't want to say pardon me, but it was really God's will. <laughs> and, and here it is for all to see. And you can say, how can this be God's will? Um, Absalom. Go to 2 Samuel 16.22. Remember Absalom? Here, another story here. All sorts of stories woven in throughout the Old Testament. Um, One thing I find interesting still on the book of Job is uh, after everything is done, and the Lord speaks in chapter 42, verse 7, it says, after the Lord had finished speaking, to Job, he said to Eliphaz and Tim the Knight, I'm not sure his name, I am angry with you and your two friends, for you have not spoken the truth about me and my servant Job. So, after all that, you know, have you seen my servant Job? The friends show up after all the devastation. 
and God is still glorifying Job, saying he was right and you guys were wrong. And it's just kind of interesting, like in another way that God is glorified because you know he those who are right by him are right, and no one else can make them wrong. And it's like for his glory. So I just I don't know. I find it very interesting that you know God tells the, everyone that Job was right and all that he had done. So like when right. he told Satan in the beginning that he considered myself a joke. So I don't know. Yeah, the bottom line is Job. God wanted Satan to know that Job was not going to deny him, mm -hmm. no matter what Satan threw at him. That's right. And um, it, 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 it almost gets to a part where you think that he would, yeah. but he says, even if he slays me, I still believe in God. I, I believe that, matter of fact, in there he even shows that he believed in the resurrection, that he would see, I will see God. Yeah. Even if he does... Actually, That's amazing. Job got a little yeah. help here. Oh. Through all of this <laughs> trial. And, I mean, Job was kind of, you know, if you look at some of his responses, he was getting a little tired. Would you say he showed a little humanness occasionally? <laughs> he was, it sounded like he was saying, well, I really did a great job, and, and, I, and, I, and this is what I get for it. And that's when God comes in and says, well, where were you? <laughs> right. What the heck? And if God had left him in all his wealth and greatness, he might have, you know, he might have gone off on a little pride trip thinking he was doing really good. I mean, I just, you know, I always wondered because I kind of thought some of the stuff Job said was kind of rude. You know, and I, I, I mean, everybody talks all good about Job and everything, but Job was getting a little out of hand. Well, I mean, he did suffer a lot. He did. You know, and, he you did, know, and I never faulted him yeah. for, you know, for right. getting a little r rude, but, but to God. <laughs> well, I think what what that shows is that. This is how real and how exactly. to the very far end that he could have gone and, and still be living. And so it, it's even John the Baptist, uh, he had gotten a point, hey, uh, go ask him, uh, is, are you the Messiah? Right. Right. Even though John the Baptist, I he mean... He had to know. He, he knew. man on earth. Before he was born, he knew it. <laughs> yeah. His marks were all human. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it does. I'll rub it all back, put it back in there, and that's why he gave us fellowship with each other. To when right. discouragement shows up, for others to remind us mm. of what's past or what's happening. That's right. We uh, we certainly need that. You know, we live in perilous times, folks. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, and uh, I don't know what's going to happen with this nation, whether it be in my lifetime or not. But uh, with all the evil wickedness that's going on in this nation, what is it, uh, Billy Graham had even said, you know, he's talking about Sodom and Gomorrah and God would have to what? Apologize to them if he doesn't judge America, right? Um, you know, and I think in a lot of ways he is as, as it goes on. But there will be a judgment. There always has been a judgment to every nation that's been here because they're made up of man and man is... Evil, he's sinful, and they have to, and the nations have to be judged. But at the same time, we are here to intercede for our country too, and that's 
that's almost like, okay, the, these are the two kind of seemingly like <laughs> two wills of God here involved. I think that's where the martyrdom would come into play. You know, believers being martyred so that they can just get rid of the ones who believe. And then that way, the people who want to live in sin will have, can live in sin without hearing the condemnation, without hearing, you know, that what they're doing is wrong. People don't like the gospel. Or they don't like seeing it lived out. And I think once they once they get that going, you know, and they start feeling happy about themselves, I think that's when God will really step in. Because when He pours out His wrath, you know, He's not going to pour it out on His believers, on His faithful servants. You know, He's going to pour it out know, on the ones who... He did a pretty who, heavy job on Job. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he said that was all for His glory. It <laughs> could get... Well, exactly. I mean, we'll receive persecution it could get pretty glory. bad. He does a... He does, yeah, he doesn't remove us from suffering. Right. But every time, every time that um, the gospel was attacked and and tried to be squelched, mm-hmm. I mean, talk about the martyrdom, just mm-hmm. persecution. And every time it was cut short, it dispersed. It just right. like exactly. it just went everywhere. Yeah, that's a good example, Stephen, who, who was stoned, mm-hmm. preaching the gospel. You say, God, this could have been uh, uh, one of your greatest proclaimers there. And, and he takes him out that quick. Sermon. But what did it do? It went much further that way than it was even going then. Because even that day he said, right in front of the crowd, same thing Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Take them thought like Christ, didn't it? Receive my spirit right in front of this crowd. So there's no denying even even when people don't believe or are angry or embittered or just have to think it out. still is going to be heard mm-hmm. and there's no, no denying the truth no matter how how little of an appetite people have to hear it so it looks like a really bad thing that happened to Stephen there mm-hmm. but then you look at poor old Paul <laughs> and the things he went through and he never got to die from it he had to go on and on and on and he Yes. This, every day he, he was dealing wow. with that. Um, he remembered. Yeah. Stephen. Yes, every he did. Every day he was being redeemed. I love mm-hmm. the story. Paul. Do you yeah. know the things I've been going through his head? It's like, but. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, this is, yeah. This is my Lord. Yeah. This is providence. That, we're talking about providence. It's really God working his plan out, he's weaving. You know, he has this pattern going on. This whole picture, we happen to be in, involved in this story, in this plan, just for a little glimpse that we come on the stage and we're like bit actors, you know. <laughs> and then we were, we people are removed and he brings other actors on. And, but we know how the story starts. We know how it ends as far as this world is concerned. Us, but he always gives us the history of the saints before us. To show us to endure whatever the, whatever the task is that he those, has in Those, uh, yeah, that's right. The Old Testament was written for mm-hmm. our mm-hmm. prophet, so that we can uh, help us understand. <laughs> here, here's here's a little story here. Okay, David, Bathsheba, mm-hmm. sin, right? Out of that that sin uh, of his lust, and and then carrying on through with it, and then out of that becomes really plans of murder. Uh, terrible thing. For a year, he went with without anything where he was being confronted 
but actually he was being melted down physically and mentally. And then Nathan the prophet comes to him and says, you are the man, right? You're the one who uh, did this. Anyway, he tells him a prophecy and uh, of course he despised the word of God. He did evil in sight. David did. He struck down Uriah the Hittite and uh, verse 10, uh, now therefore, I'm in 2 Samuel 12.10 right now. I'm sorry, I was in 22. We'll come back to, or 16. I think we're going to come go to that. 2 Samuel 12. And we're at verse 10. And of course, I kind of skipped over some of the prophecy. But 10 says, Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil. Did you guys just see that? Uriah the Hittite, he killed. He committed adultery. God takes us seriously. The prophet then tells him in verse 7, Thus says the Lord, because of all what you did, Behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. Who is this? This is David. What is David known for? A man after God's own heart. And he really was. But he really sinned and failed here, didn't he? So, God is going to judge him. What does he say? I will raise up evil against you from your own household. That means his family, his sons. I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and under the sun. Then that's when David confessed and I've sinned against the Lord. God still blessed David throughout his time of being a king. There were ups and downs. God raised this man up, but he says, I'm going to raise up evil against you coming from your own household. That's a prophecy that he gave to Nathan to tell David. That is rather remarkable when you see that. That is a tough phrase to say. Go to 2 Samuel now in 16. We'll start at verse 20. We're just kind of cutting in on bits and pieces here just for the sake of time, I guess. Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give your advice. What shall we do? Where are you? Uh, 2 Samuel 16, verse 20. Oh. 2 Samuel. We're just like four chapters from okay. chapter 12. Give your advice. What shall we do? Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines. That's David's wives. First of all, what is David doing with concubines and other women, wives, whom he has left to keep the house, then all Israel will hear that you have made yourself odious to your father. The hands of all who are with you will also be strengthened. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, and Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. They all knew about it. He's very well aware what he is doing. The advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as if one inquired of the Word of God. 
so was all the advice of Ahithophel regarded by both David and Absalom. That's rather remarkable because you remember the prophecy that Nathan gave to David that came from God, I will raise up evil against you. Now does he make anybody do that sin? No, just like he did not make anybody kill Jesus. They did it of their own accord. They wanted to do it. But yet God says, I will raise up evil against you. It's just like when God tells the Israelites, if you obey my commands, you will prosper. If you turn away, I will have somebody rule over you. Blessing, (laughs) cursing. Consequences. That's the pattern all throughout the Bible. Yeah. It was by God's grace that David still persevered through all of this. And we know he's a man of God, without a doubt. But we see that God took seriously what David did. It's a very odious thing, and here it is, Absalom and Ahithophel speaking, and Absalom says, hey, give your advice. And he says, okay, you go into um, your father's women. And everybody will know about it. In the daylight, remember in chapter 12? God said everybody will know about it. In broad daylight, this will be seen. It happened. God used the evil for uh, discipline for David. Yes? Um, I think God takes this sin so serious that it even God even tells him that your sin won't you are forgiven but it won't be forgotten because as I read you know in the book of Matthew when you go through the genealogy it even mentions her and then King David the one that King David's left with you know so it's not it's not it's not been forgotten but it's been forgiven you know and I just find that find that interesting I don't know why it's just something about this story and that just there are consequences to sin. We all are, for, if we if we trust in Christ, we're all forgiven for eternity. Those sins have been done away with, but yet the consequences of sin still remain because, and we still live in the the flesh. And of course, uh, I think if we see this, we God is a holy God, and despite, I mean, you you've read the Psalms of David; it's incredible, the high praise of God that he has. He was a man of God. And uh, at the same well, time, we see this. I don't how God chooses which sins He's going to, you know, which ones you're going to pay consequences. Because I have not paid consequences for all my sins. <laughs> Aren't we glad? We wouldn't be here, would we? We would not be here if He took care so of all those. Some sins he, we have consequences for, but other sins are gone. Yeah. And He's the one who picks out how He's going to control that. Um. Oh, go to Joshua 11.20. You know, that one lady that was, we looked on that video that was glitching all over the place. She says, you know, God loves everybody. Which, yeah, there is that definitely that sense. But does He save everybody? Does He have that same kind of love for His own that He does of anybody else that's outside his family. Oh, there's a different grace, kind of yeah. love there. I mean, a, grace with, uh, there's a saving grace and then there's a common grace. Yeah. In Joshua 11.20, this just shows a characteristic of God that is just overwhelming, isn't it? 
But it, you know, he's a good God. And everything that he does is always perfect. Joshua 11.20. What do we have here? A difficult verse. For it was of the Lord to harden their hearts to meet Israel in battle in order that He might utterly destroy them, that they might receive no mercy, but that He might destroy them just as the Lord had commanded Moses. There you have Israel coming into their promised land. There's Captain Joshua. And there you have the enemies against Israel. And what did God do? He hardened their hearts so that they would go out and meet Israel in battle. They're the same people who heard about Israel and how they got delivered from Egypt. Egypt was the great empire. And it's like they they defeated them. They they were able to get victory over them. They, They left. And then everywhere they went, they had victory, didn't they? At Jericho, of course, Ai was a different story and God used a little bit of discipline there. But as they marched on, people just said, hey, I'm not messing with them. They knew they were God's people. But here, He turns some people, their their hearts against Israel to battle them and they get destroyed. He gives them no mercy. That is another um, story that sounds so opposite of a loving God. You remember that lady when she says, God loves everybody. So we're all going there, you know, and that is so far from biblical truth. How can people say that? You will hear people who call themselves evangelical Christians, and they'll say that. I heard them come, whenever I was in the store, people would come in there and say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but everybody else is going to the same place. We're all going to heaven. And I go, where do you go to church? Where do you... Why did Christ die if it was so simple? I think all you have to do to go to heaven is, you know, you need a pope, I think. You need a pope. But I think he just, I think this verse is just explaining a prophecy because, you know, because like we said earlier, God was telling, you know, the people through Moses, if they obey, bless them. If they disobey, you know, I'm gonna yeah. make your enemies over you. You know, and they didn't listen. It just drives me like it's like a reflection of just what all the rest of the world is just always like. Even those who believe in Christ, you know, we're obedient and submissive. And then when we're like, when we when we do one thing wrong, I, honestly for me, I know that when I just do one thing selfishly that I know I shouldn't be doing. I feel immediate consequences, like a spiritual just decline, and I just feel like I'm starting all the way back over, and it doesn't feel great, and I just think, the rest of the world gets to live as if they can do whatever they want, sit all the time, and not feel guilty or ashamed, and I, and I, and I commit myself to the Lord, and I do one thing, and one toe out of line, and then all this just comes pouring down on me. That's because when you became a Christian, you knew that those things were wrong before you didn't. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, Hebrews 12 says God it disciplines His children. I was going to say, you got a different daddy than they need. <laughs> so therefore, if they're not His children, He's going to, to deal with them differently than He would His own children. That's a good thing. But with 
his own children. He and that's like what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Is like God's love. Sure, it mm-hmm. may seem he like let you when you disobey, things yeah. happen that seem <laughs> bad or negative, mm-hmm. but it's good because it's good for, mm-hmm. uh, you know, good for rebuke and correction. So he cares about your well-being. Them, mm-hmm. they're out there just kind of, uh, you yeah. know. I think of a neighbor kid. You do so much for them, but then you kind of sit and say, well, you know, right. but your own kids, you're going to hold them accountable. Um, got one for you, another one in Samuel. Doing Samuel a lot. Now, we, we turned to this verse last week, but it, it's a good reminder. First Samuel sixteen fourteen. Here you have um, David being anointed to be you know, the next king. Uh, at the same time, though, there's Saul. And Saul is actually uh, wicked. God, in His mercy and grace, has held back punishment for a long time. Get into verse 14. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. He had been anointed to be the king. People wanted this man because of his looks and his stature. People go by looks rather than what's in the heart. Of course, it's what's in David's heart. Even though he sinned, we know ultimately what he has a true heart. Saul shows that he's not really one who is like David. And we have a really difficult verse. And of course, Penny was talking about last week. You know, that really was a a stumbling point for her early on. I got a feeling it's been a stumbling point for a lot of people and still is. But here it just shows how God is providential and sovereign over all things. Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. That doesn't necessarily say he was possessed by a demon or Satan. Could have been. But what it is saying that all of a sudden it's like God turned him over to Satan. Have you ever heard of that one in the New Testament? Paul mentions that phrase. To, as far as discipline in the church, uh, there was uh, like incest going on. And that one must be turned over to Satan. That means if you're put out of the church, you don't have anybody praying for you in, in this sense. And you don't have protection of people in the church. You're outside the church and... Now, Satan can really just waylay him uh, that he would come to his senses and be able to come back. That's powerful stuff. That's uh, don't have the time to go into the 2 Corinthians passage, but um, he, was, he was terrorized. But uh, at the same time, what, what's going on here? The evil spirit troubles Saul. It's said to be from the Lord here. Uh, it, this is coming from God. An evil spirit? How can a good God send an evil spirit on this person like this? Well, what it is is that Saul had become like a madman. His madness was just a punishment from God. Satan is also said to blind the minds of those who do not believe. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4. Um Difficult passages, I know. Do you think, uh, we, talk, we talked about prophecy, and in the later times it always talks about how the Lord removes the Holy Spirit, or He removes, like He kind of removes part of Himself from the earth. Do you think the same thing maybe might have been with Saul, just literally losing any grace? Well, He had of been God's... anointed 
to be a king. And not right. necessarily He was uh, like the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily saying the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit, as far as that anointment, as a king, gave Him rulership, gave Him power. And so the Holy Spirit was there that could guide Him. But of course, He went His own way. He didn't listen to God and and, He didn't really use the kind of right rulership that was given to Him. So God took that special anointing, that guidance that He had by the Holy Spirit from Him. And then he had a different spirit well, come. Like you, and you, say, you said a long time ago that hell is the absence of God. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They're saying right. it's almost like that common grace right. we're talking right. about. That one lady, whatever gives anybody that is not a believer still some kind of source of peace, it still comes from God right. to do that. So it's almost like I wonder with Saul if almost the common grace was let from him also for a short time. Absence of God. Which yeah, which would leave you in a turmoil mm-hmm. of And it was terrorized. Yeah. yeah. Uh, turned over to Satan in that way. And that's that's probably the idea. Second Corinthians four four says this, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Well that doesn't take too much to understand that, does it? so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. It will take a miracle for them to see light. Well, the miracles are called salvation. And of course, we were blinded too. By the world, the flesh, and the devil. The devil was blinding us. He was trying to keep us from the gospel. But the gospel somehow, sometime during our lives, penetrated into the dark hearts, gave us light. And all of a sudden, it's like we now are trusting in God before we weren't. But we were blinded. And uh, that right there, it shows you, okay, God can use Satan to blind people of that that gospel. And we were in a passage on Sunday, you know, uh, the week before that too, I, I believe, dealing with that kind of issue. Whereas he gives parables to the ones who want to hear so that they can understand. That's the reason he does a parable. So it's so easy to understand. But at the same time, the parables are so deep that the unbeliever, like the Pharisees, the religious elite, couldn't understand. So it would blind. It was actually blinding to them. So anyway, uh, look in Second Thessalonians. Satan blinds eyes, but look in Second Thessalonians. God also will blind. People, difficult scriptures. I know. During the uh, time of the Antichrist in the future, during Great Tribulation, in verse eleven, Second uh, Thessalonians two. Speaking of the lawless one, pick it up, verse nine. That is the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. See, that's the problem. They don't want to hear the Word. For those who hear, let them hear, right? Let them understand. But they didn't want to receive the love of the truth, so here we are, verse 11. For this reason, God... This is tough will send upon them a deluding influence 
so that they will believe what is false. There finally comes a time where God turns it over to their what? Their lust. Their unbelief. He just lets what's already there just happen. They already have unbelief. Now it's like he steps back. They can't even they can't understand truth when you give it to them. Exactly. He had truth for all those three years. Heard it, preached, saw it. You're talking about a conscience. Is that exactly? It's a searing the total conscience. The conscience is totally dead. Why would some of the leaders or people who are trying to get leadership, and one I'm speaking of are the are the the, the left wing people, who, I mean, the understanding of just general principles, start with life, just life. They can't get that. If you can't get that, what else can't you get? About everything else. It's all upside down. Everything you believe in, you know, and if you want to say Democrats, I don't know how a person who is a Christian can be a Democrat. Because everything that they believe in is absolutely opposite. I have never, I, lately, I haven't met a Democrat that even would believe in God or believe in Christ, the, the biblical Christ. Uh, or, or sin, or anything else. They don't want to hear about sin. And, of course, as they sin, <laughs> um, they would rather have people the deplorables out of the way. And so it goes, I think, in some senses, do they have a deluding influence on them so that they cannot believe the truth? Well, it will take God to come in their hearts, and believe me, there will be people who seem to be wicked because we were too, that can be changed. But there are some people, once they get to this part, and we never know who they are, it's not up to us. We are to continue to preach gospel. That's really what we're about. But a deluding influence that they will believe what is false, in order that they may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. That pretty well, I think, sums up the time that we live in. People are taking pleasure in wickedness. But back with the persecution, we're talking. We're talking about praying for the United States, but also know that from all those other, we've watched it before. When the times become hard and difficult, the cream of the crop, they'd say, rises to the top. In other words, it's so it's so easy to see who is who they are. They're no longer playing this veil of claiming some kind of belief system. And that's really what society now wants. They don't want to have to play the game of a veil. They just want to show how wicked they really are. They're looking so much forward to it. But God will grant that. But it also, at the same time, when He grants that, those that are His, that He gives a conscience to or gives common grace to, and those that He chose for Him, will rise out of it also too at the same time. And so would you say that that is God's providence? So, in all of these times, regardless of what it looks like in our own lives and how we're living and things come against us and everything, it's God is not surprised at all of what is happening. Matter of fact, He is controlling that thing and He will make it work for good. If you look back in your past life, you'll say, I wouldn't have used that, but you know, I look at that now and I'm glad he did. Because this is where he got me to this point. And you know what? It, it just shows how he is in control of each one's life, if you're a Christian. 
And he's also using people who are not his, that are not going to be his, for really our good, for his glory. And so we can look with brightness even in a dark world that we live in knowing that God is still on the throne. And if He lifts up people to bring forth righteousness and things that we've had, I think for the last two years we're seeing some things that actually have happened that we're praising God for. Um, you know, but it could all turn back around again. It just Man is sinful and he's going to do things. But, uh, you know, it... It's not the people that we trust in; it's God, and so we can be we can be positive as all we want because we know God takes the the bad, makes it work good. It takes the good, works it for even better. Uh, thank you guys for coming out tonight, and um, this is really applicable stuff. It's really hard stuff. It's tough. We went over some hard passages. Difficult passages. Thank you guys for being really kind and agreeable because you're scriptural. But some people would really, they would be debating us right on this and they would be mad. They would be upset because I have seen that happen in many Bible studies down through the years where you start showing a God that's like that. They don't want that kind of God. It destroys their religion. Well, yeah, because they have a different way. You know, God, as long as I can control Him in my thoughts, that's the kind of God I want, right? That's idolatry. But this God that seems to be, wow, He's beyond our control. That's right. And He's a providential God. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this evening. Thank You for Your Word and Your truth. And These are rather precious truths, but we know they're very difficult, very hard to understand in a human way, but scripturally we know that ultimately it's about your plan. And you're using it in a way that no man ever would have ever thought of. Uh, you are a great God, awesome indeed. We pray for the this evening as we uh, await the results of the voting. And we pray, Lord, it would stand on the side of righteousness and would proclaim Your truths. And of course, Lord, there's been things that, that have happened that have been for, for the good. And we would pray that it would keep getting better. But we know that ultimately Your kingdom is what it's about. And we just want to be able to proclaim Your gospel. And however way that it is, we want to be giving Your truth and living it even more importantly. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Amen.